0: Hey, I'm Tommy
1: Chong, welcome to High on Homegrown. Yes, yes, everybody, and welcome to High on Homegrown, the cannabis podcast from PersisGrowroom.com. This episode is the Grow Guides episode, and we're going to talk about pH and EC. this can get a little complicated in places but just like every other grow guide that we have you can head over to persis slash forum sign up to become a member and we'll be able to give you any help or answer any questions that you might have Uh, just a quick shout out as well uh, to remind you all that we have the hlg 600r spec competition running right now and the entry is open you are all welcome to come and join so don't be shy head over to Percy's, become a member if you're not a member already and sign up to the competition. it will be fun to have you involved as well. Uh, But that's about it for now. We're gonna leave you with the Grow Guides. Again, this is all about PH and the EC. It can get a little complex in places. We also have some good questions at the end in the Listener Mail section. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer in Listener Mail, then you can easily email us at gmail.com. Enjoy the episode and I'll speak to you at, at the end. Enjoy, see you in a bit. Yes. So, I mean, pH is a very important factor when it comes to growing plants, especially cannabis. If the pH isn't correct, then the plant isn't going to eat properly. Now, EC comes secondary to that, but it still is an important factor. But we're going to talk about both during this grow guide section to make sure that you get a decent understanding of what people mean when they say pH. And what they mean when they say EC, what what is a good pH to grow your plants at and what is a good EC to grow your plants at. And this is going to depend on what medium, you, what medium you're in, what size your plant is, how big your plant is and how much you should be feeding it every day. So this is what we're going to run through this week. So I think it's best we should start off with the pH and we'll discuss what the pH is first and you know how it works and what levels are good to have for different plants in different mediums. Mm-hmm but because that's obviously the most important bit. So there's two main differences when you come to pH, and that is the pH for plants grown in soil and the pH for plants grown in hydroponic mediums, including cocoa or soilless mediums in general. So let's start off with the hydro thing, because that's important. Monkey, you're a cocoa grower. You want to tell us about pH there? Right. Well, pH, first
0: of all, stands for potential of hydrogen or potential for hydrogen. Is that what it stands they, for? I didn't.
1: I thought it was just that. That was it. It's just called pH. I didn't know it stood for something. No,
0: it's a measure of, <laughs> of, of free hydrogen um, ions in your solution. Okay. And so a highly a highly acidic solution is going to have a lot of ions, so it has a low potential to ex- accept more. So it would be a pH one. In a highly alkaline or basic solution, either way you're going to call it, I prefer alkaline, It's going to have like a pH of fourteen, meaning it can set it can accept a lot more free free hydrogen in oh, there. Oh, cool, okay. So, I mean, so basically all we're doing is we're balancing hydrogen
1: ions. Just, I mean, if you want to look at Wow, it no, way. no, it's real scientific. We're going to talk about hey. balancing hydrogen ions in this episode, everybody. This is how we rolling. Go. But anyway, <laughs> so if you're growing
0: cannabis, it likes to have a certain level of pH in there. And uh, for hydro, you, you're basically looking at a pH of 5.5 to 6.5. And in cocoa. I like to aim at 5.8 on a regular basis. And then later in flower, I will let that drip to 6, 6.1, even up to 6.2, uh, yeah. because at different pHs, you're going to be able to absorb different nutrients better. So that's why you really want to understand your pH, want to understand the pH that you need in your media, and you want to understand how to control that pH at all times and where it should be.
1: hmm Right, and TG, you're a soil grower, as we all know. Do you do anything about pH when you come to your organic soils?
2: Yes, I do. <laughs> um, yeah, it's still important to have the proper pH in soil. A lot of mm-hmm. people misconcept, you know, it's it's a misconception, I guess, that you don't need to balance your pH in the super soil. In, maybe in an outdoor environment, there's enough biological activity where... A highly acidic soil or a highly acidic water or a highly basic water can be dealt with. But ultimately the microbes will get overwhelmed if you're keeping on flooding them with, you know, potentially mm-hmm. like toxic uh, levels of, not levels, but just it's it's a medium that they can't really survive in. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, you want to keep your pH levels in balance um, depending on what kind of water you're using. For for soil, you, uh, I air kind of in the about six point two to six point eight. I stay within that range as best I can. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know if you have to test your water, like that you use. Obviously, if you're using tap water like I do, um, I have to adjust mine with a little bit of pH down because here in Saskatoon we have pretty alkaline water. Mm-hmm and uh that's not ideal it's like an 8.1 or something out of the top so a lot of those nutrients that are built into my soil which it's great that they're there but if, if the pH is off the, the plant still can't you know use them mm-hmm. so uh, yeah i always pH my water and it seems to uh, always work you know yeah. i don't know i pH it in and the only time i ever look at it when it comes out is if i'm having issues because you know what goes in I've I've found over the years it, it stays pretty stable unless there's pretty something really fucky going on in there. Yeah, yeah. All
1: right, so Sorry, so long answer. No, it needs to be for this one I suppose. well <laughs> so when it comes to hydroponic mediums like monkey said he he's using his around 5.8 6.2. That's good for hydroponic mediums like hyd- um like DWC, ebb and flow. Uh, cocoa, cocoa, soilless uh, mediums,
0: rock wool, float, yeah, that kind of stuff. And Aeroponics. then,
1: and then TG said there, that with the soil, then he likes to adjust his pH to around 6.2 to 6.8. And it has got a larger buffer when it's in soil as well, because there's more microbes living in the soil. There's more life in there to help things get broken down and become plants available and to try and keep things balanced. And also if you're buying a good soil or building a good soil, you add some dolomite lime to it. That helps keep, the pH within the right range as well. But it's always best right, when you feed your plants or water them, if you're not going to put any feed in there, just check the pH last to make sure that it is the correct level. So if it, if it isn't the correct level, then you'd adjust it using pH up or down. So, uh, bubble hock, you, you want to explain the pH up and down thing? Because I know you're a cocoa grower too, right?
3: Yeah, so, so for me, I use rainwater mainly. Um, cool. So my... My pH is generally quite low. So I'm, you know, in before I even put anything in, it's around the four and a half. Wow.
1: Um, so, like yeah, it's proper really, acid rain.
3: Yeah, it's really, and I mean, look, you know, it is what it is. So I normally will add all of my nutrients, give them a nice mix. Um, and I've got, I put like an airstone in the bottom just to let it sort of air through the mix a bit. Um, and then I personally, I use citric acid and bicarb because for me, because I'm in cocoa and I'm feeding daily and I'm making my batches up daily using bicarb because bicarb can be a little unstable if it's left. So if you if you're doing big batches, you're better off using um, like a hydroponic specific pH down because it's going to be more stable and keep your pH at it a more stable level over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, yeah, I just, I use the bicarb and I just sort of mix it in with some water to, um, to create my pH, um, up. And then I use just citric acid or lemon juice for my pH down. And, um, I'll just sort of add it a little bit at the end. Once I've had all of my, um, once I've added all of my nutrients and I'm at my EC level that I'm happy at, then I'll adjust it. And I'll let it sit for a little bit, generally for about half an hour to an hour. I'll let it sit before I add it to my res just to make sure that the pH has been stabilized because it will swing up and down for a little while. So so keeping an eye on it, making sure it's stable before you add it is always a good idea. Mm -hmm. So
1: as mentioned there, you have to actually check the water to find out what the pH level of the water is. And to do that, you need a pH meter uh, these can be bought for pretty cheap online. You can go to Amazon and buy one for like five, pounds, but these things are not going to be very good. and not going to be very, very, reliable. And it's better to buy something that's going to be reliable and is going to last for a while as well. Cause if that pH level is off and you check it and it tells you it's okay, then you're going to have problems with your plants. So you don't want that shit. You need good, reliable equipment that you can rely on and, and trust that the reading it's giving you is going to be accurate. So there's two brands that I recommend, but I'm sure there is more than two brands when you're looking for a pH meter. But uh, Essentials is a good budget brand and you can get that for about £40, pound, between 40 and £50 pound for your pH meter. And I know that might be expensive or might sound expensive for some, but it's worth putting that money in to make sure that you've got a good, reliable reading when you're checking your pH. And then you also have Blue Lab. Blue Lab is super cool, man. That That's my preferred uh, pH. And that's what I use. I use uh, Blue Lab they'll tell you what the temperature of the water is as well which matters when it comes to ph too because the ph can change depending on the temperature right yeah 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 so you know, and then uh and you can also recalibrate these things with the right solutions so you can uh, you know they can last for a long time clean it recalibrate it and it's good as if you bought it up back to yeah, so make
0: sure you get the correct calibration solutions. Different pens have different, different ones. You need uh, some are seven and four, some are seven point something and four point something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of them have two points, some of them have three points, some of them have single point calibration. So make sure you get the right stuff and make sure you store them correctly. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. I can't stress that enough.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I've thrown a couple of them trash because my mistake not storing them correctly.
1: So, when you have a good pH beer, then you need good pH solution. And like Bubba Huck said, you can use bicarbonate of soda for pH down, or you no, know, yeah, pH down in it. And then uh, you can use citric acid for pH up, right? Yeah, oh, that's the opposite way. The opposite way, yeah. I always get these two yeah, ways yeah. confused, man. I swear.
0: <laughs> the bicarb brings it up, and, then, and yeah. the acid brings it down. Right. So, that, yeah. So, um, now that does a controversy with the bicarb thing because it is a sodium bicarbonate. It will yes. drop your, it will change your pH, but it does add a, a touch of sodium to your, to your your feed. Mm-hmm. And, yes. You know, typical sodium is not real good for your plants, but we're, bicarb is pretty strong, and it only takes a few granules usually to move that
3: pH. Yeah, so you're not adding much. That's why I make a solution up because I base it's, you know I mix it into 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 water. Um, and then I'm not just dumping, you know, straight bicarb in it's, it's just the solution and it just slowly brings it to where I want it to be rather than just, yeah, putting a whole spoonful of bicarb in the bucket and hoping for the best, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I've grown some good weed using
0: bicarb and and, uh, vinegar to go ahead and make the adjustments, but I've also uh, read some stuff online where people tell you it'll ruin your weed. But honestly, I think it's a, it's a good inexpensive
1: way to do it. Um, it may not be ideal but it works
4: mm-hmm.
1: because most people would go to the hydro store and they'd buy some ph up and ph down in the bottle just right, right there and it may buy vitalink or somebody and this yeah. shit is, is like really strong yeah if you, you could put like one drop in per liter so if you've got a 10 liter bucket you put 10 drops in the thing the ph can swing massively from being neutral at seven down to being four it's yep. something that it matters it's different for each person who uses it when you get the ph stuff check it you know mix up your feed check how many drops you need and then you are uh, and then you know test your ph again give it a good stir let it sit to make sure that the ph up and up or down disperses properly and that's another thing as well if you've gone too far and you say you've bought it too low it's down at 5.3 and you need it at 5.8 and then you're going to go put the ph up in then it's better to just add water. Don't put pH up and pH down into the same water because they'll react together and they're going to cause salt. And shit. it's not cool, man. Don't mix them both together at the same time. I've done that. And it's uh, it's like an explosive reaction, really. It's strange. It so generates nice a lot of heat.
3: That. It gets
1: angry, though. It yeah. can get angry. So be careful what you're doing wow. with that stuff. Don't mix them together.
3: One one thing I will say is, if you're not confident using something like bicarb or lemon juice or, or things like that, just get the 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 up and down from a hydro store. They're easy to use. They've got the instructions on them, and mm-hmm. they're generally going to be a lot more stable. Like using, I I use the bicarb and lemon juice because it's just that's what I do, and I've worked it out. I don't know how to use it. I, I can I can get it in range without too many issues, Um, because and I'm a cheap bastard, so I don't want to go and buy the stuff from right. hydro mm-hmm. store but, was, sorry yeah, if you stop no no you're right i was just saying you know if you if you're starting out and you're just trying to get your head around this sort of thing having a bottle up and a bottle of down and you've got to do nothing else but add one you know that's the best way to do it mm-hmm. when you start up and down are going to last you years yeah that's oh, yeah. it i
1: was just about to say this it's really powerful stuff man and it can be difficult to get the right levels when you're putting the drips into the water it's easy to go too far so what you can do is get a liter of, uh, a liter of a bottle put 900 milliliters of water in it, and then put 100 milliliters of pH up or pH down in it. And then that's just going to make it much easier when you're trying to adjust the pH inside the water. You won't go, you
2: will go too far mm-hmm. as just often. Wanna, if you put 100 milliliters of pH, usually pH down. I just wanted to say I use pH down for my mm-hmm. adjusting. It's concentrated phosphoric acid is what right. it is, or mm-hmm. stuff I use. It's from a company. Houdre, I, yeah. I, Holland Secret is the brand I use. Uh, it is corrosive. It will eat your like plastic and c- certain types of plastic and stuff. It'll burn your skin. Be mm-hmm. fucking careful with okay. it. It is it is corrosive. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a, technically in the chemistry world it's a weak acid but that doesn't mean it's weak. It's just in relative terms compared to hydrochloric and sulfuric nitric and the other strong acids. It doesn't have as much power to to, uh, pull in electrons or I forget exactly what fucking happens in it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just not as, as efficient, but it's still very powerful. And about the levels Mackie was just saying in four liters of water. And this depends on how, um, alkaline your water is and what type of alkalinity it is. Um, what's in it, your, your PPM. Um, my, my PPM for calcium carbonate is generally what makes water hard it's around like
1: what sorry sorry
2: sorry it's like 160 ppm my overall ppm is 200 in my water and i only need to put in 0.3 milliliters per gallon which is four liters Mm -hmm. so you're right it's powerful stuff that's
1: right so that's what i mean if you dilute it you like put in a bottle in the first place would that be too corrosive then because i've um, done that well, yeah. before and i haven't had any problems with it in a plastic bottle yeah, be fine. yeah
2: it, it depends on the plastic like you remember on breaking bad and like the first yeah, yeah. episode where they put it in the tub and it fucking that easy was episode right. three
1: bro come on
2: sorry spoiler alert <laughs> it
1: wasn't really I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> i don't know that's the only shit i remember from that show and uh mm-hmm. yeah that's oh, because yeah,
0: should be fine though yeah
2: exactly yeah elise like like we have heart or strong acids uh, in bottles at work and it's just fine not in my work but at works I've worked at. but yeah just be careful with it and um, a little bit goes a long way so trial and error just take take a 0.1 milliliter put it in your water take take one gallon four liters so then you can scale it up or down you just do the multiplication you know if you need two gallons then you just put in twice as much ph down as you put in one gallon right we need to figure that out first so take 0.1 milliliters put it in test it if it's too little put in 1.1 more milliliters test it and keep doing that until you reach your your ph mm-hmm. and if your water's quality is stable like uh if you're using tap water that's always comes from the same source like i do you should be able to use that same thing without having to like fucking measure your ph every time i just have a syringe where i just dump in 0.6 because i use a two gallon watering can
1: yeah you get kind so, of used to it then you? when you're when yeah you're- when you're growing in hydro and somebody said there, uh, hydro sounds, yeah. Blazing star says hydro sounds so stressful. It's not mate. Once you get your numbers down, you get used to how much you need to put in to adjust your pH to be at certain levels. It's very easy. You just need to find those levels first. And you should be doing this for soil as well. It doesn't, this isn't just for hydro. If you're growing in soil, you need to make sure that your pH is within the right range, especially if you're getting problems with your plants.
0: Let's talk about that range a little bit though, because you know, a lot of times you'll find new growers are really stressed out about the pH and are always trying to nail that perfect pH on every feed mm. and, I'll, and right now, it won't hurt your plants. To actually, I'm going to say, if you're growing in cocoa, you're always aiming exactly at 5.8. Your plants will do just fine. But a lot of growers, and myself included, think that it's it's probably better to let your pH swing just a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe adjust it to 5.8 today and tomorrow. If if you get adjusted and it's at 5.9 or 6.0, so feed it again because different nutrients are going to be absorbed at different pH levels at different rates. And so giving your, your plant that smorgasbord of, of things still within an acceptable range will let it be a little bit healthier and a little bit more vigorous.
4: Well, the, it's, it's acceptable um 5.5 5 up to 6.5. She five. She'll still they'll, they'll still survive and still do quite well. It's just a yeah. step preferred. Yeah, in high range, range, it's a 5.8 to 6.2. Yep. Yeah, I, yeah. I let mine sway this very same as you, monkey.
1: Well, once it once in hydro, once it starts to go past 5.8, like upwards into 5.9, 6.0, it starts to cut off calcium. You don't get as much calcium being taken up by the plant when the when the pH gets too alkaline. And the opposite way, if it goes down past 5.7, you start to lose out on the magnesium. You know, but it, it tapers off. It's not like instantly gone. That you, know, uh, you know, it'll be able to absorb less.
0: Right, and then phosphorus is, uptake is better at a slightly higher pH, and, and not so much during the lower pH. Mm-hmm. So it's a balancing act, And yeah. that's 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 why sometimes that swing is not a bad thing. You know, it,
1: definitely in hydro as well. Yeah, to swing between uh, five point eight and six point two, and some people do say that during the flowering stage as well, it's good to have it at six point two because the plant can absorb the nutrients it needs better at that level when you're growing in hydro.
0: That's what I do in cocoa. I think bubble hops yeah. pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. He kind of grow. He and I have very similar habits of
3: growing. Yeah, I I try and over the entire grow, I'll try and sit between that five point eight and six point two. But as I'm pushing to flower, I'll try and keep it around six to six point two. Um, but I will swing and I will I will come back down every now and then. Like I'm not. i'm never super strict i just want it in that range and i try and go that little bit higher once we're forcing more phosphorus and things like that in there Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and when you change the feed like that you know if you put some pk in it or you which you haven't used in the mix before so you've been using say for example canna a and b you've been feeding your veg plants just fine with that but now you're adding pk to the mix you know you want to be rechecking your levels and making sure that everything's cool when you mix up these feeds so you know say you, you're used to putting five drops in to make it 5.8 then then you add the pk don't just put five drops in again and think that it's going to be okay you're going to have to recheck and balance that out again if you're ever unsure just check the ph this is what you have the ph meter for it takes 60 seconds just drop it in there give it a stir and then wait it'll tell you what the level is job's done it's yeah, nice and
0: at- I've tried the pH papers as a cheap alternative, Mm -hmm. save your money. It's better just to put your money into a decent meter.
1: The thing is with those is if you add, when you add nutrients to the water, it changes the color of the water. So if you're using like a a PK, that's really Brown and organic PK or something, the one I got, when I add that to the water, it changes the color of the water. And if you're using them ones where you add the drips into it, shake it up and see what color it's changed. Like you can't get a real test of the color because it's fucking, you know, the water's already a different color in the first place. So it might look red or, but it, well, it might look brown, but it's really light red, but you haven't been able to get a right reading for it. So just go with the proper EC meters. It's part of the setup. Oh, sorry, not EC meters, pH meters. You know, it's, it's part of the setup. An essentials one or a Blue Labs one, 40, 50 pound is plenty. If you spend any less than that, then you're probably going to get something that's inaccurate and it's going to break soon. So, you know, buy cheap, buy twice. You want something accurate, man. Essentials or Blue Labs?
3: And Blue Lab, the good thing about Blue Labs as well is they've got a little tick on them. So, you know, it'll it'll tell you when it needs to be recalibrated or when it's in the right calibration range. It'll have a little tick. And from memory, they adjust via temperature as well. So yeah. if your water's at 22 degrees, it will work out for you what, the the pH is based at that level, um so you're not having to then guess it and so on.
1: That's right. So essentially, what you're doing is you'll mix up your feed. You know, you put your canner in your canner, one milliliter per liter of A and one milliliter per liter of B, some calmag or something. Stir it up, test, and see what the levels are. And then, you know, say that comes to like six point two. You need to drop it a bit, a couple of pH down in there. And then you stir it up a bit, let it sit for five minutes, check again, and if it's right at five point eight then you're happy you're ready to go you can feed that to your plants the ph is always done last after you've added all your feed and everything and everything's done you've stirred it up and everything's sat add your ph and the ph always lasts you know and that will make sure that the ph of your feed is correct and like we said if you're in hydroponics between 6.8 and 5.2 is good and if you're in soil 6.2 to 6.8 8 is good as well so just try and rock with that if you can. It might sound complex, but once you've done it yourself and you, you see what you have to do, realize it's a lot easier than it sounds. It's just putting a few drips in some water and stirring it and checking the levels. It's nice and easy. And then we also have as well as pH, because pH is the most important one, but there's also EC, and EC is also known as PPM or TDS as well. They're, they're similar, but... EC is more reliable because the scale used to measure EC is the same all around the world. But if you use ppm, there's there's different methods of uh, ppm and different readings that will give you for this, the reading that you have in your bucket. So most growers who grow cannabis and who grow plants as well would use an EC meter because you can get a more accurate and reliable reading from that that other people can understand as well. So when you're asking for help and you can say it's a, the EC of the runoff is 1.2 then it's much better than telling us the PPM is 600 because that's yeah, 600. EC is universal or mm-hmm. everybody around
0: yeah. the world is going to know what that EC is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. PPM, not so.
3: Yeah. So when well, you've got the varying things with PPM too, you know, but you're 500 and you're 700, mm-hmm. and then you, get, you know, conversion rates from there. Yeah. That's right, man. So if you
0: come over to Percy's, we're going to always ask you what the EC is. And when you tell us PPM,
1: we're going to politely ask you what the EC is again, because yeah. <laughs> that's the number we need. Yeah, yeah. I mean, PPM does work to some extent, but it's just so much easier to just use EC. That, that's that's the the same sheet we're all singing off. So just use the EC. That would be the best way. And again, you can get an Essentials EC meter or the Blue Lab EC meter. or the, There's other brands as well, like... Uh, HANA is one H-A-N-N-A. That, that they're good EC meters. I had one of those and it was epic. But you you really only need this the EC meter if you're growing with salt-based nutrients because the EC meter it stands for electroconductivity meter. And essentially it's just sending a charge through your water, which will bounce off different salts in the water and the salts of the food like the Canada A and Canna B. And it, then it will go back to the other prong. It comes from one prong to the other prong and it will tell you how conductive. The the water is, and the more salts it has in it, the more conductive the water is. And the less salt it has in it, the less conductive it is. So it will tell you on the screen how conductive your water is, and you essentially know how many salts are in that water then. But this doesn't work for organic nutrients, right, TG? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I've I've heard that it doesn't work when you're growing in organics. I mean, you might get a rough idea, but it's not the same kind of reading because it's not salt-based
2: nutrients. Probably not, because like. Salt based, I assume, in an ideal world, the only thing in there is water, salt, and medium. You know, let's not talk about root exudates or anything else that can influence the pH mm-hmm. that's in the mm-hmm. rhizosphere, but assuming it's just those three components, yeah, it's easy to figure out, like, you know, oh, I don't have enough, or oh, I have more, but in yeah. an organic or super soil type of thing where you have microbials doing their shit and shitting and root exudates doing their thing and mycorrhizal stuff. Yeah. The pH or the EC is maybe a bit less important. I don't measure. I just like I say if if something's off, I'll take some readings. Mm-hmm. I use PPM, you know, just to monitor what goes in versus if if, if it's just depleted, I know the, the average levels that I should be at and in, in you know certain uh points in the grove ppm wise so if it's lower than what it should be then i'll supplement but beyond that no i don't i don't worry about ec so why do you use ppm instead of ec because i don't know i mean i don't think ec i don't think i could influence the ec you know even if i did test for it like what would i do if, if it was off i guess mm. i could flush it with some water or something but beyond that there's everything is is already in my soil i can't flush it out yeah, right yeah yeah so that's i guess it's the same sense, principle so. of
1: ppm though
2: well the ppm i just use it more as a proxy as to what's going on in there i don't necessarily need to like adjust it specifically mm-hmm. i just need to know if it's depleted or not or if like if i if it's not the ph because it's if it if they look like unhealthy and they're not supposed to yet I'll uh yeah, I'll measure my runoff and if it's not the pH and if it's not like obvious bug activity or some weird shit like that, then I'll uh I'll look at the PPM and and a lot of the time it's way lower than it should be. So then I'll put in some fish hydrolysate and you know, the whole kit and caboodle of the the top dress as it's mm-hmm. called, I guess. Well, you so. use the EC, don't you, monkey? Yeah, EC all the time. It's
0: all I use. And um, I actually like to run a low EC, um, but listening to what TG's talking about, uh, organics and EC may not work well together, but lately what I've been doing is mixing organic with salts in cocoa, and maybe that's why I'm running so well on low right now, I'm thinking.
1: Right, yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, when yeah, I used to grow either. in so, yeah. when I used to grow in cocoa, the EC of my feeds would usually be around 1.2. And you have to take into account first you get your tap water or your rainwater. You, the rainwater is going to be really low EC. There won't be anything in that. But if you're using tap water, then you can check your EC using your EC meter and you want it to be less than 0. 0.4. I mean, any higher than that, and you want to start considering either using a reverse osmosis system that's going to filter a lot of the shit out of the water, or you want to try mixing it half-half with uh, mineral water or spring water or, or rain water if you have that.
0: Or distilled water or lots of things, yeah. Yeah,
1: or something, something which doesn't have any uh, background minerals in it because, you know, tap water might have the the chloramine, chlorine. It would have um, calcium in it, obviously, a lot of it will have calcium in and you just want to make sure, and you can go to your the, the local provider, whoever provides your water to you, you can go to their website and they'll usually have some kind of breakdown of what the background EC is of the water before you start with. And that, that's known as your background EC, and this needs to be taken into account before you add any food to it. So once you found out there's 0.4, for example, I mean, my tap water is really low, 0.16 or something like that. Really, really low EC. So then you, get, you add all your food on top, with you say, for example, canner A and B, and that will increase the EC from there. And you really don't want to extend uh, exceed past 1.2 EC. That seemed to be pretty high when I got to those levels. I mean, you can you can push it much further, but the plant would be unhappy. Like, like Monkey said, it's better to keep it low. And Absolutely, they'll
0: just be happier low than they will high. We can always yeah. add more. It's hard to get rid of it once you put it in there, though.
3: Yeah, there's a limit. <laughs> yeah once they start fussing at you you can't take it back no i mean it's easier in cocoa to then adjust and go back but you still can't like you're still going to have created damage at a point
0: yeah and as we all know once cannabis plants are damaged you don't repair the damage you just have to move move on from it you know
1: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and this is where you'll find a lot of problems with salt-based nutrients. The EC is too high. A lot of growers using hydro would have really high EC, heading up one point eight to 2.0. So it's it's going to be the same thing as it was with the EC. You know, you're adding it to the water, and then when it's added to the water, you, sorry, it was it's going to be the same thing it was uh, with the pH. You add the food to the water, and then you're checking it to see what levels it has and you'll mix up the feed to a certain level. So you put in one milliliter per liter into the water and you get it to around uh, 0. 0.8 EC. Then you're going to feed that to your plants, either if, you know through your hydroponic system, or uh, if you're using cocoa, you're going to collect the runoff after it's come out through the bottom of the pot. And you'll check the EC of that as well. And depending on what the levels do in, in between the feed into collecting the runoff or giving it, If you're filling up a DWC reservoir, then give it 24 hours and see what the EC is uh, compared to how it was when you initially fed the plants. And then that's going to be able to tell you whether the plant is eating too much or not enough. Right?
3: Yeah. One thing when testing runoff though is especially with cocoa, you really want to be taking the first that's coming out the first runoff that's coming mm-hmm. out yeah yeah don't um, let it sit yeah yeah don't don't yeah don't because i mean when you, you're running to run off and you're going to be flushing through your new feed and if you're taking it from at the very end it's it's going to be as close to the feed you've just put in anyway you're not going to get a good idea of what's going on at that root zone yeah and prior don't, to you then feeding
1: and try and like lift the pot up to collect that bit of runoff you don't have to do it all the time you know you know it's um don't do it for every feed do it if you think there's a problem or whether you're just trying to get your levels right, but don't do it every feed. Because if you if you lift it out the trays, then you're not going to get any contamination from the trays either. Because once the water drips onto the trays and dries off, it leaves salts behind. And then when you water again, and then salts dissolve into the runoff and you collect the runoff, then it's going to give you an inaccurate, an inaccurate reading. So lift the pot up and try and get the runoff from the bottom of the pot as it's coming out rather than landing in a tray. And then you check that to see what the EC is compared to what it was. The day before when you last watered. So it, it sounds complex. It, it does when you try and break it down like this. But it's it is really easy when you just get your head around it. You only need to do it a couple of times to understand what's going on. But the, it's a really good way to tell whether your plant is eating properly or not. You know, if if you're putting the EC in, for example, at 1.2 and it's coming out the next day at 0.5, then the plant is eating a lot of the salts or it's taking in a lot of the salts. you feed into it so you could bring that ec up more to and then hope when it comes out again next time that it's it's closer to the original way it's closer to the original level that you put in in the first place because you want it to be just a little bit over say if you're putting 1.2 in then you want to be at about 1.3 with the runoff coming out and that's just keeping everything stable for the plant then And the plant's going to be happy at those levels. And on on the flip side as well, if you if you're putting it in at 1.2 and then it's coming out at 1.6, 1.8, that means the plant isn't eating everything that you've been given to it, and it's leaving lots behind between the feeds. And that's so it's leaving salts behind in the medium, and that's why it's rising when you get the runoff again. So that means that you should feed the plant a little bit less, and you you should give it a little flush, just a small flush to try and get rid of any salt buildup because that will cause problems. But uh, if you say you're 1.2 and it's coming out at 1.8, reduce the EC down to 1.0 and give it a couple of feeds and see how it feels from there. But no, you just don't want it up too much. Right? Yeah. Me, well, you cocoa as well, GB. What do you do?
4: Um, I I, I don't really check my EC, to be honest. I no. haven't checked it in a long time because I just go with the plant. Mm -hmm. you know I go by my feeds if she's looking a bit light I up her feed a bit if she's looking a bit dark I back her back Mm -hmm. you know Um, I don't really have any problems with nutrient lockouts or things because I always I do let her swing ever so slightly but in general she's always at 5.8 or 5.9
1: and you feed low as well and I
4: feed very low, mm-hmm. very low fucking levels I only feed A and B And then I f- add in a bit of PK mm-hmm. um, Throughout the, the flower um, On occasion, at the start And at certain points, I might For a week, I might add a bit of rise or win You know, and stuff But in general, it's I, I don't even check them Man, I
1: couldn't even tell you where my EC fucking meter is Yeah, honestly, I couldn't. Yeah, when I I mean when I started growing in cocoa a long time ago, when I was using the um, the advanced nutrients, I mean I'd use it quite a bit then because you know I was new to it, just trying to get used to how nutrients works and shit. But over time, I I do use it less and less, and I will only check the EC say once a week. To see what's going on in the medium, to see if it's too high, too low. But generally, you can just look at the plants. But I think that takes practice as well. That's just because you've grown a few plants, so you know what's going on now. But if yeah, you see no. the plant is suddenly <laughs> yellowing, if you get the EC meter and check what's going on with the runoff, you can tell whether it's overfeeding or underfeeding. That's the problem. Is he, you see, know? I do, I do a bit of a like a, I call it a mini flush yeah, nearly yeah. on
4: every feed because I know the way normally people say they like to get ten. 20% runoff mm-hmm. I put like five six liters through each plant to every feed you know like I get I it's I refresh the entire medium the whole way through mm-hmm. and I do that
1: constantly you it's know maybe not every it. feed but yeah, like it's good to get a lot of them old salts out for sure man yeah, yeah. just to uh, keep the medium balanced yeah, at it's, least twice a week I would do that, Now It's, yeah. a, it's the whole entropy thing, isn't it? It's high concentration to low concentration. So if you have the cocoa, for example, all the water, if you're growing in DWC or something, and that's at 2.0 EC, but the plant is only sitting at 1.2 EC, you know, inside that actual plant itself, then that's a lower concentration. And just the way physics works, it's going to try and balance out that difference. So food's going to essentially force itself into the plant and that's what can make it overfed with the, the, the tip burns on the leaf and shit like that is because the salts are being forced into it. And it's the opposite way as well. When yeah, if you've been overfeeding the plant, like you fed it 2.0 for a while and now the EC of the plant it's dark green, looks really thick, you know, looks like it's well overfed. Then if you flush it a lot, like reduce the EC massively and, and bring it down to 1.0, then for a few feeds after that, it's going to work the opposite way where the, the salts are essentially putting themselves out of the plants and into the cocoa again to try and, you know, bring balance in between the two with the entropy, the way that works. And then so when you flush it after that, it will show. So you've reduced the EC massively down to 1.2 and you check it again a couple of days after, but it's coming out, it's still higher, like 1.5. And it's not because you're feeding too much at that point. It's just like the plant's still trying to find balance So give it a few days when you when you're going from too high to too low, just so you can give the plant time to catch up with itself and things to move around and disperse properly. It takes a while, but if you keep the feed low at all times and you're not forcing anything into the plant, then it should remain happy for the whole time. You know, just don't try and ram. Don't try and think that if I feed a shitload, if I put a shitload of food into into the medium, the plant's gonna eat it all up and it's gonna be happy because it doesn't work like that.
0: plants don't eat like animals they don't overeat they won't stuff themselves you can't give them more to fatten them up they're Mm -hmm. going to eat what they're eating that's all they're going to take
1: that's right like and this is why it works so well in organic soils all them nutrients are there for the whole life of the plant but you can put a small plant in it and the plant isn't just going to eat it all because it's there it'll take what it needs when it needs it and it's the same principle with salt-based nutrients as well try not to force more food into the plant than what it needs
0: no, the trick with with this is making sure that as much food that the plant wants is available, but mm-hmm. you don't force the plant on it. So that's what Mackie's talking about right here with yeah. EC, making sure that your input is at the right level. So the plant can eat when it wants, whenever it wants, and then
1: it'll get fat. Mm-hmm. But yeah, more kills the plant. That's all that happens. Keep it low, man. Keep it low and then raise he, it in small increments so you got some to
3: say yeah i was just gonna say if you are going to run a higher ec you need to be checking that runoff more often mm. so especially as a newer grower if you're not confident in reading a plant itself and knowing the signs of when something's going wrong or a lockout starting to, to creep in on you keeping an eye on that ec is is the easiest way to know engage where you're at and where that plant's at in its stages and as you said you know there's going to be points where it's going to eat a little bit more it's going to eat a little bit less so knowing where you're at and playing it on the safe side lower and less is more is more when it comes to it because the majority of those feeds and the nutrient schedules that you'll find online for a manufacturer are going to be way too much mm-hmm. way right. too much
0: and what G.B. was describing about not not ever checking and just knowing what's going on, that's just because he's been using the same nutrients in the same setup for a while. He's got it dialed in yeah. and he knows what works. He knows Oh yeah, no water. This is this is the system. Bang, it works. And so he has mm-hmm. to worry about it less.
4: I, and you're 100 percent right monkey. And it's because I use just I, I only use A and B really. I'm fucking a bit of PK. I don't even use the whole range as such.
2: Yeah, I'd go for it too, you know, easy. You know, when when I'm, I have checked my runoff, obviously. I'm running like 4,000 ppm, you know. At the end of my grows, I'm still hitting 2,000 ppm. And I don't know what that translates to EC, but I'm sure it's a fucking lot. Mm-hmm. And yet, my plants still grow. You know, I've, I've been, lately I've been getting lots of compliments on some of the stuff I've been giving out, actually. Because, like, it's fucking good. I know it's fucking good, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, I wish I could share to you guys so you could see it's fucking good too. But that's why, like when I said, I don't like care so much about EC there's, it's not that I don't care. It's just not as relevant. I feel like to me, because even though I can run these extremely high levels, I still come out. And I think it's because in my soil, I do have microbial activity. It's yeah. not, it's not reliant on it. It's I like, I really like what Tad said. I, I can't remember what the context was. Tad Hussey from uh, KS organics. Um, he, he, does a similar thing I think with his, his microbes whereas is they're more of just there if they're needed. they're not relied upon in a true living soil kind of uh, reciprocal way but they help when when drawn upon you know and if but if the plant is happy enough it, it doesn't really call for them as you know in a hippie kind of way. Well so- it's,
1: it's partly because the bacteria, when you've got good microbial life, they're going to produce food as the growth goes on as well it's not just really well yeah yeah yeah
2: the 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 cycle of you know protozoa eating bacteria eating nematodes and and mineralizing their innards and shitting it up yeah exactly that that helps a lot and so between that and my super soil being like just loaded with good shit properly mixed properly cooked um yeah it kind of self-regulates itself Mm -hmm. like i don't know that because i've not like gone in a magic school bus in my soil and looked at shit you know i've never had it tested i've never done why not the, man it's the,
1: so fun to do that you should do that tg try it
2: i know out. i know i i just don't have time these days my magic school bus is the a sad wave. <laughs> yeah that'd be sick eh fuck i'd love to do you know i love my microbial shit so we, probably like, fucking go, horrify actually, you man oh yeah yeah that's just, yeah. i was just gonna say <laughs> you have some see some teeth down there man yeah. what I'm saying. but yeah i don't know self-regulating you, you do have to monitor it though because sometimes things go awry and uh yeah as i mean growing with hydroponics using ec and ph that way is
1: like growing by numbers as long as you keep track of those numbers it's plain sailing man it's so easy to do and if there's any issues they're easily fixable and identifiable but that isn't the same when you grow organics you know if there's problems in organics you have to know your soil or be able to recognize what the problem is and then be able to add shit to the medium to fix it the ec won't be able to tell you so much about uh, what's missing and whether it's eating too much or not enough. I mean, because I, I come from hydroponics into soil, and I do think that though though organics takes less time, so it's easier in that aspect, but it, it's definitely easier to grow in cocoa if you have time to, or other hydroponic mediums, because you can just monitor everything so easily and just know everything that's going on. You're in, you're in full control of that shit. So. That can you know, be intimidating
0: think, sometimes for a new grower, though. I mean, when they think mm-hmm. they have to balance it all on their own. But I'm like you; I love the control of cocoa. Mm-hmm. But outside, I have to say, outdoors for my regular flower garden not not weed, but I'm all about the organic. Because, like Keith mm-hmm. says, I just water it. Yeah.
1: It's the same with mine, man. I've just I've just watered these plants every four or five days. I like, can really got five yeah. days sometimes. I need to. My message to, well, to
0: everybody: It's not how you grow; just grow.
4: You just do it. Well, my water-only cocoa grow is going to be ready to go in the next week. I've just been letting it cook up for the last week. Oh,
0: cool. So you're cool. the uh, dry amendments in it?
4: Yeah. Um, cool. I go on the, the full ground to see if it works Forced. Mm. It's, um, it's a trial. Okay. Because these um, are not normally sold as um, cocoa nutrients. It's a, you know, life cycle. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. yeah. I've gone down to uh, given the life cycle um, and the charge and the biosis okay. thing. It's uh, basically, I was having a chat with them and they, they said, yeah, no, it would be possible. They haven't tried it themselves, but they reckon it would be possible. You have to find the right levels, I guess. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes, but um, mm-hmm. that should be ready in the next week. Yeah. And then I am actually looking at um, those advanced nutrients again. So we'll be breaking the old EC meter we are able to
1: get in. That's right, man. So When you, you can find it. You know, if you go in hydro, then definitely go out and get a, especially if you're a new grower, then go out and get the pH and an EC meter and, you know, get decent ones either from Essentials or Blue Lab would be my recommendations. But obviously, if you can't afford that, then just do what you got to do, man. Get a cheap one if you have to. It'll give you some kind of idea, but it won't be as reliable as you really need it to be. So upgrade when you get, your first grow and you're not buying weed anymore but if you're going in soil then ph you only really need a ph meter well if if you're going organics if you're growing salts in soil then you still need an ec meter for that because you want to be able to try and monitor how many salts are going in and out but it's the ec meter is less important the ph is far more important for both mediums for the hydro and for the for the soil make sure you have a good ph meter and if you can afford both get the pH and the EC meter and that will help you out massively throughout the growth. Just uh, letting you know what's in the medium and if the plant's eating too much or not enough. And of course, if you need any help with any of this, if you've got problems with your EC or your pH and you need to figure out what's going on, then you can always visit com and ask some questions and we'll be able to answer any questions that you have there and help you get things fixed if necessary. But keep the feed low, keep the pH within range and the growth should go nicely, right? I think we all got, is there anything else to add? I mean, it's a big subject, still more to cover, I'm sure, but that's about the basics of EC and pH, right?
0: Yeah, it's something that every new grower needs to actually look at and consider because it it does trip up a lot of new growers. I'll
1: Mm -hmm. say
2: too, if you do run into problems, the best thing you can do, the first thing you should do is check your pH and check your EC because if you're dumping a bunch of nutrients in there when it's not actually depleted in nutrients, your, your pH is just simply off. It's it's much easier to fix with a flush instead of having to waste a bunch of, you know, resources and money and time and potentially damage your plant by overfeeding yeah. it. So that's it. Yeah. It's, like most of the
1: time it is the pH. If the pH is off, not within range, then it's going to cause problems. So that is the most important thing, check the pH. Chibi, what you saying?
4: I, I, I think I was going to say something along the same lines, Mikey.
1: <laughs> Sweet. So we do have some questions as well from uh, Woody. Maybe we have a couple of questions from Woody. We should shout those out. Let's have a look here. Uh, hermaphrodites is what he's asking about. If a plant shows both sexes at the same time at the start of flower, what causes that genetics or stress? If a plant shows both sexes at middle life, what causes that? If a plant shows both sexes at the end of harvest, what causes that? Are hermes genetically instilled in a plant or is it induced through stress and just pissing off the plant in general? It's a bit both, mate. It's, uh, most feminized seeds would have some kind of hermy trait in their genetics way back in their genetic line, but good genetics will have it further back. So it's less likely to express itself throughout the growth but stressing a female plant is definitely uh, an easy way to make it hermy. and depending on how strong the genetics are will depend on uh, how how much you have to stress it to make that hermy gene express itself but it's uh, when it when it's at the start like when uh, the early days of flower if you're seeing both male and female genetics at, at that point then it is probably down to the genetics of the seed in the first place it probably just hermy genes
0: uh, it should be mentioned that a lot of you know, like when a hemp commercial hemp is usually bred to have both sexes on the plant. So these genes are out there and it's very easy for these genes to filter back into some mm-hmm, plants sometimes. Mm-hmm. So early showing two sexes early on. Don't want that one.
1: No, get rid of that straight away. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then you have it through midlife. If you're seeing Hermes through midlife, it's probably, I mean, most likely in my opinion, it's down to the, a difference in light cycle, the light cycles afterwards, getting light leaks in the tent somewhere or outdoors, you know, it could be from a street light or a security light or something. If the night cycle is interrupted too many times, then it will confuse the plant and it will cause it to hurt me. And I think it's similar to what happens there towards the end of harvest. Well, when it goes past the harvest date, the plant is going to at some point die because that's what cannabis plants do. They don't live all year round. They only live seasonally. So at some point, the plant's going to get to the end of its life and it's going to be like, oh, shit, I'm going to die soon and I haven't been pollinated. I need to make some seeds to make sure I can grow again next year. It doesn't say that to itself, I don't think, because it's a plant. But, you know, it's something like that. And, and then uh, it will grow some male parts to produce some pollen to pollinate itself so it can make the, essentially selfing seeds of itself. And then that will when the plant dies, it falls onto the ground and starts again in springtime. So, if a plant's pushed pushed too far past its end date, then that can happen too. But that's genetics as well, right? I mean, G- TJ, you're going to know a lot about this shit, right? You, you pollen chuck.
2: Yeah, I do. I guess. Um, yeah, basically, um, I'd say genetics, like it has to have the propensity to do it. It doesn't just appear in the in the genome, you know. Like plants don't um, just hermi it has yeah it has to have the ability to do that um whether or not it does it with like a pinhole leak or a full fucking you left the door open and the light on kind of thing is is a relative thing you mm-hmm. know my purple godbud for example uh is extremely prone to and if it has any fucking any light disrupting this dark cycle it throws out a couple balls and yeah but um, if you don't, it's perfectly fine. Um, some, like you said, will just do it automatically. Generally, that happens when flowering is induced because, mm-hmm. you know, it's ready to go. And if that's what's going to happen, that's what's going to happen. Um, towards the end, though, yeah, it's those are the, the flowers I don't tend to worry about. You know, like Seedsman's Jack Harrow, for example, I had that happen with that one. Mm. And uh, all I did was just pluck the mail off. And it was like a week away from finish even two Um, weeks away not enough time to pollinate exactly usually the cluster the the bud clusters are so thick by that point anyway that the the little male banana gets kind of squished in there so if there is any pollination it's extremely localized Mm -hmm. um so yeah those ones they like Mackie said it's just a last ditch effort for the plant to to reproduce some seeds for the next year but um yeah i i really if the plant doesn't have the propensity, even if you do feminized seeds, you know, like I've made feminized seeds with uh, with skunk, with Charlotte's Angel CBD and stuff, and I've treated them like my skunks the last run. I treated them like dog shit, like fucking light leaks, just nutrient issues, just everything. They were awful. And if they're going to hurt me, they should have hurt me. They turned out amazing in the end, you know, no, no, like semblance of, of a male. So stability is important. Skunk. Obviously, is one of the most stable lines there is, but um yeah, genetics playing a really big part in this. And yeah, I think think we
1: should do an episode on this. I've been doing an episode on Hermes would be a good idea. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. there's a decent amount of talk monkeys right with the whole hemp thing, and yeah, it's it's an interesting one.
0: There's interesting trains of thought within the Hermes with epigenetics, where triggers uh, that set off the female in an epigenetic center to, to her and produce a, a seed is that trait in the epigenetics that have been triggered going to be in that seed that it's pollinated at this point and, and there's really no answer right now that i mean i'm my, i'm sorry i spent a week with my nerd daughter and we were actually talking about stuff like this this weekend so you know, <laughs> it's fresh on my mind here
2: i'm no geneticist but I, I know that sex is at least in genetic terms is quite fluid um there's it's not just x and y there's there is some other things that can happen i'm not sure exactly how or, or what can induce that but um yeah definitely something to, to look into but in general yeah just certain lines have hermy characteristics i think chem 91 is one that Corridor, traditionally, number four. Yeah, yeah they probably will hermy all the time but that's just the nature of them that's just like my purple Godbud, is accepted right um, you work around that because mm-hmm. they are fucking what they are. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, man. If it's
0: fire enough, we'll work around the herm. That's right. And Definitely, even if you yeah. do
1: herming the plant, it's not end of the world, man. You can make hash out of it if you want to do something with it. It's, you can deal with it. It really oh. depends
2: on the scope, man. And, like, yep. um, honestly, in the old days, hermying is how people kind of put – or a lot of people, growers, um, got new seeds for the next year you know because mm-hmm. a few they get a few male flowers produce a few seeds which are all feminized they're going to be Hermi prone because that's going to be built in but yeah yeah so. we should do an episode on that it's it's interesting yeah, yeah there's so a lot cool to cover topic. yeah
1: we have another one from woody as well uh storing rain water or any water for a week or more what's the best method does it need to be bubbled and does it need bennies which is beneficial bacteria does it need bennies so bad stuff doesn't grow monkey you're a rainwater grower right
0: Yes, I am a rainwater grower. I store a lot of rainwater too. Um, We have a lot of rain (laughs) here, but the the problem is um, we do have a couple of months during the year when you may not have any. And I learned the hard way that it's best to go ahead and, and do some storage. And I have five gallon buckets that I fill up. I filter the rainwater through nothing more than paper towels just to get the particulate out of it. And then once it's I take clear rainwater and I cap the buckets and I put them indoors and they will, they will last years. It will still Sweet. be good. Open it up. It's still clear, fresh, no algae, no problems, but it's stored indoors, covered.
1: Right.
0: Now, outdoors, um, I just basically leave it in the rain barrels. And sometimes it gets nasty and gross. And sometimes i have got to dump the barrels and start over. And sometimes when it's not raining, I've got to use the water that's there. I have used water that's moldy and full of tadpoles and I have filtered it, strained it out and, and the EC is still relatively low. It's below 0.5. So to me that's low enough. Mm-hmm. No problem at all with that, and the plants didn't fuss. So when you're using rainwater, it doesn't always, now if you're using in a DWC system, I'm sorry, Woody, I know that's what you do. <laughs> I'm sorry, if you're using a DWC, it does not apply here. Don't put anything with, with algae or anything in your DWC. But in cocoa, my plants did not mind it at all. Yeah, yeah.
2: Say one quick thing: if you're going to collect rainwater, do it in a opaque, opaque um, collection bin. So something that water yeah. or light can't get through. Because if there's no light getting in there, you want to get algae growing, which is a right. big problem. So use a, a black or a you know.
1: And check with some... your local laws as well, because I saw one guy was arrested for having an illegal reservoir in his garden when he was collecting rainwater. So, just check that yeah. out just to make sure. Fuck me.
2: In, in, yeah. I hey, G, what happens if, if, in in Ireland,
0: the, Ireland, man. if, if you leave rain.
2: a pot outside uh-huh. when it rains? Are you fucking breaking the lock Is it filled yeah. up? Fast? Yeah, they could be dickheads
1: about it. Whatever. Stupidness, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry I mean, for fucking... People would
0: love it if you collect some of the rainwater. We got some much <laughs> of it. Like, please take it. But, but how what are you saying
1: about your water?
3: Yeah, well, I, I live on property. So, for me, it's... um. We, we drink it we wash in it we wash clothes in it we do all of that so we have the we have two big um big water tanks that catch the water off the house um and off the sheds goes into there and it's they're completely light proof so there's nothing you know there's no light getting into that system so there's no algae that grows in that system and then it just runs through straight pipes into the house and that's just how i use it from there and i my ecs generally always 0.04 um or thereabouts it, it'll range from like that 0.04 to 0.0 um to 0.1 sort of thing maximum um it's never never at a point where it's a worry for me um and i mean we when we drink it yeah we'll we'll put it through a carbon filter so one of those little yeah. um under sink filters that that does the dual yeah, stage we put an ro yeah. system yeah, basically in RO. Yeah. And, um, but, but that's only if we're drinking it. If I'm giving it to the plants, it's straight out the tap, it doesn't it? Sweet. I mean, rainwater is going to be the best shit. But if you're growing in cocoa or something in,
1: uh, like, uh, like, especially cocoa, you need to add a little bit of calcium to that because usually it's in tap water, but it's not in yeah. the rainwater so much. And the plants in cocoa need that shit. But that's a different story altogether. That's uh, for when we discuss cocoa in more detail, I suppose. So there you go, Woody. I hope you're happy with those answers, man. Uh, Improper Weed Viking, who's here for the first time on the live show. He's been a listener for a long time, but he doesn't usually make the live show. What's up, man? It's good to see you in the chat there. Uh, We saw you earlier anyway. I don't know if you're still there now. But he's, he's asked, uh, hi all, hope you are well. With the season wrapped up down here in Australia, my thoughts are already on this coming Springs project. Good lad. So we'd like to hear prior planning and preparation prevents piss poor performance and all that shit.
3: well done, Viking. Getting in early.
1: <laughs> my question is, I plan to pop my granddaddy purple for my 22 outdoor grow, but want to give it some some longer time in veg prior to starting of spring. How far could I practically stretch my veg out before considering detrimental on the grow? As long as you want. You Nicole. know,
3: you got space yeah. for it, bro. Really? Yeah. <laughs> More space you got, send it. Mm-hmm. If you, you can put it you could technically put it in now under lights and let it sit there and then once the season kicks off again put them outside you'll have 15 foot monsters mm-hmm. but you can there's no reason why
1: you can't yeah, man. Well, if you could let us know what space you got i mean if you're working with a four by four you could maybe take four months to fill that with a vegging plant and then if it gets too long take some cuttings, bro you know if it no gets people too big, here uh,
2: they, yeah. they start their plants about two months early before they put them outside so it's you know time. But yeah, whatever whatever you can do you know
1: do that's it. it if you do many plants in a four by four then yeah i mean eight weeks veg on a four by four in mean, a four by four four plants will fucking be lovely in there but you know that, that eight weeks only i think yeah, you'll get you a bit put too those outside that. man
0: that's gonna be one heck of a grow you put mm-hmm. those eight week veg plants outside you're gonna have some monsters
1: you know what i'm saying so it depends on how much space you've got, mate. How much can you fill? But yeah, essentially, as long as you've got the space and the light to to properly grow a plant that's big, it'll go in any space, man. You can just train it out some LST. So you know, put it in a scrog really fucking spread out that canopy as much as possible, and it will do fine when it gets outside, man. That'd be nice to see, bro. So if you're gonna do that, let's know. If anybody does that, if anybody veggies their plant for ages indoors and then flowers it outdoors, man, we want to see that shit.
0: Man, I want to grow a Christmas tree one year. You know
1: what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes. Not even yes. for Christmas. You know
3: what I mean, for no, Halloween.
0: Well, I could cut it in maybe uh, November and let it dry in the living room.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Lights on it, some baubles. You're away. I like Christmas it. Christmas morning, we fire it up. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. What y'all doing on
0: Christmas morning?
1: Trimming. <laughs> sitting around the tree with a
2: bunch of torches we're in a tree <laughs> yeah
1: but you know that that's them beast plants in california them huge ones which you've seen Jorge Cervantes walking around in that one video you know the ones we're talking about well you've
0: seen Swami they throw them on a wagon and haul them in <sighs> like a dance of Humboldt
2: county man fuck yeah what did he what was it he's pulling 12 12 to 15 pounds per plant
0: Oof, yeah. yeah, some of the guys in Oregon when I was out there were going to harvest or harvesting by outdoors and they were talking about machetes for this, man. You know, they're talking about
1: three-inch stocks. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go, Viking. However much space you have, mate, just make it work. Start now if you've got the space for that shit. But it will take a lot of lights. And, of course, you want to do it in a legal place as well because you don't want it, like, you spent all that time over winter vegging out this plant. And then this time next year comes along you like, yeah, I'm gonna go plant it outside, and then it gets seen because it's bigger than your fucking house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it comes to helicopters, you can't miss it. You know what I mean? And a, and a police car driving past can't miss it. <laughs> no, really. It's, it's fucking it's sticking over your roof and shit. You're like, oh God damn, Look, look at the size of that. He's growing a cannabis plant on the roof. And then they go around the, the back. It's not on the roof. It's in the
3: garden. It's just massive.
2: Even you know, veg too. They kind of stink sometimes. So.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thirteen yeah, foot plants not easy to hide in a backyard. Mm-hmm. If you're on property where well, you can sort of, you know, you can, you can go gorilla with it a bit, but um, if you're just trying to throw them in your backyard and hope for the best, someone's going to spot those. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So it's been a pleasure. so there we go everybody that was this week's grow guides I hope you enjoyed it I hope you learned some things but of course if you need any help at all head over to Percy's, start a thread and we're always happy to answer any questions that you have you'll find me and monkey over there every day always happy to help and loads of other members as well so don't be shy it's a really friendly place and if you're still not a member of Percy's, you really should be head over there sign up it's all free and then you'll really enjoy it over there we guarantee you otherwise you'll get your money back you know what I'm saying <laughs> again don't forget about the HLG competition Of course, we have Plant of the Month up and running. So if you have a nice plant that you'd like to show us, head over there, enter Plant of the Month, and you have a chance of winning some seeds. Just entering Plant of the Month will put you into a prize draw where everybody who enters will be able to win some some cannabis seeds as well. So a lot's going on at Percy's right now. If you're not a member already, you're missing out. You need to get over there and sign up thank you as always for downloading and listening to the show we really appreciate your support if you want to take it a step further and support us even more then you can become a patron at patreon.com slash percy's grow room for as little as 420 a month in dollars or 350 in pounds but that isn't always necessary just listening to the show and downloading the episodes is always enough support for us and we appreciate that massively but if you want to do more then head over to patreon and become a patron that would be super cool But that's it for this week. Uh, We'll see you on Sunday for the live show. And if you can't make the live show, there'll be the cannabis news for you on Monday, just like there is every week. Uh, Thank you again for tuning in and joining us once again. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to share the show with some friends. That is a great way to help us make the show grow. Have a good weekend. Stay high, stay safe. Stay high and homegrown, I suppose. Nice. See you on Sunday.